What's up, everybody? It's just the Martian this week. Uh, unfortunately, Ozzy's not going to be able to make the recording this week. Uh, I am recording very late in the week on a Friday uh, because I did get COVID earlier this week and was just coughing a lot and was going to be difficult to uh, record the podcast early in the week. So I did it as late in the week as possible. Uh, still coughing a bit here. Still got a pretty raspy voice. So I uh, might be doing some cuts and edits throughout the podcast so I can, you know, drink some water throughout. Uh, so it's not going to be one continuous take, but I will give you my thoughts on all these fights on this week's card, which is the Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater card. 11 fights going down from the Apex this weekend. And before we get into this week's fights, just a quick recap of last week's fights, UFC 280. Uh, I think the card, you know, was a little bit under expectations. You know, everyone's expectations were super high. It was a stacked lineup. I think, uh, you know, the Yan decision and the whole uh, TJ injury kind of took away from the card a little bit. Uh, it definitely did for me, but uh, highlight of the card, definitely uh, Benny Daryush coming through as the big underdog. Uh, that was great. The Yan versus O'Malley fight was really good. Uh, Islam dominating Charles was pretty surprising and impressive. Um, so I think it was a, a solid pay-per-view. Um, also, uh, Bilal pulling off the upset, uh, kind of beating the brakes off of Sean Brady there. And it was a losing event for me, minus 1.35 units. Uh, the Yan decision really, uh, you know, broke me in that one. Would have been a profitable night if Yan got that decision. Unfortunately, you know, got a little unlucky with the judges there. Um but uh, Krylov came through as a favorite. Abu Bobkar came through as a favorite. Uh, Carol Rosa by decision. All good bets. Uh, lost on Sean Brady and Chukagian. And uh, Amokayev under. And then uh, a good week for Ozzy, though. 3.86 unit profit for Ozzy. Uh, he won on some favorites like Abu Bobkar, Krylov, and Kayo. Uh, big win on Aljamain Sterling and Benil Daryush. And a loss on uh, Amokayev under and uh, Sean Brady as well. So. Uh, good week for Ozzy, not so good week for me, and uh, that's gonna you know do it for for the recap of last week. We got eleven fights before or before us in this card. Um, a lot of these fights kind of shuffled around this week. Some late notice replacements, and only eleven fights, so I'll probably keep this one pretty short. The first fight on the card is one of those late notice replacement fights in the bantamweight division. Joshua Weems making his UFC debut, taking on Christian Rodriguez. The line for this one, Rodriguez minus 405, Weems plus 305. So I should note that Weems did miss weight for this one. Weems is coming in on short notice. Um, he's fought in the contender series. He got knocked out by Ferny Garcia, but he's coming off a win. Big upset over Mo Miller, which was in a very impressive victory. You know, Miller, a uh, highly touted wrestling prospect. And Weems just, you know, looked like a really solid fighter everywhere in that fight. Takedown defense, jujitsu, striking, uh, cardio, even his, you know, grit and determination, I thought looked really good and promising stuff from Weems there. And honestly, I think it's a little crazy that he's a 3-1 to one dog in this spot. I mean, Rodriguez is a good fighter as well. I was pretty high on him uh, before he fought JSP. I thought he was a good fighter, but, you know, obviously he was moving up uh, short notice up a weight class against a really good grappler in JSP there. That was a really bad matchup for him. But I remember being impressed with his skill set coming into the UFC, thinking he was going to win UFC fights. And he's just a well-rounded fighter. I think this is going to be competitive matchups. I, I kind of put these guys on similar levels. 
And I think it's just pretty wild that Weems is up to a 3-1 to one dog here. I mean, Rodriguez opened, I believe, minus 160, and it has been just absolutely steamed by people uh, from a 60% favorite to an 80% favorite now. So I just think that line movement is, is way too much, and I think Weems is a solid fighter everywhere. You know, the weight miss, the short notice, that's not a great look, but I still think he's going to fight for your money at plus 300. So I think, uh, you know, a small bet, half-unit stab on Weems is definitely warranted here. And that'll move us along to the next fight, which is also a kind of a late notice replacement fight. A flyweight division here, Carlos Mota making his UFC debut, taking on Cody Durden. The line for this one is uh, Mota as the favorite, minus 160, Durden plus 140. I think Mota actually opened up the dog here when this line first dropped, and then people steamed him to the favorites. Some buyback coming in on Cody Durden here. Uh, Mota is a really fun fighter from the LFA. Had that uh, banger of a fight with Charles Johnson over five rounds, and also was coming off of just an absolutely filthy knockout over uh, some Russian gentlemen in LFA. Just a one-punch knockout sends this guy stiff as a board. You don't see that too much in the 125 division. I just really like Mota's striking. He digs to the body really well, which I think could be a big factor in this fight because his opponent, Cody Durden, is a kind of a front-loaded fighter. Uh, you know, he's a wrestler who tends to start a little fast and then kind of gas out as the fight goes on. I wouldn't say he's a proven gasser, but he definitely has had some problems with his cardio later in fights. And if this fight is, you know, a high pace and he's slowing down, the body punches of Mota are going to be really taking an effect and slowing Durden down. And I think Mota could actually finish this fight in the later rounds with a, a body shot of some sort. But Cody Durden being an, an All-American wrestler, I do think he's going to provide a pretty decent grappling threat for Mota here early on. I have seen some fights of Mota where he shows his defensive grappling, and I think it's it's good. It's pretty proven, but uh, he's never shown that defensive grappling against a wrestler like Cody Durden. So I think this is going to be a tough matchup early on for Mota here. I think uh, Mota has the edge in the boxing, but the wrestling, the experience of Cody Durden, I expect uh, Durden to make this fight competitive early, and I think Mota could take over late but I don't know man I, I wouldn't be rushing a late chalk on Moda coming in on short notice UFC debut against a tough wrestler in Cody Durden and, you know, Durden's probably getting better as well, picking up some wins in the UFC. I think the guy is still probably capable of improving. And another thing about this fight is looking at the fight to end inside the distance. I mean, it's a minus 170, minus 200 in some spots. Very rare that you see a flyweight fight uh, where the ITD is over 60%, nearing 65% in some books. So... I'm kind of confused by that. I don't think that price is really right. I think the value is likely on the fight going the distance. Uh, and I would say to look to live bet Carlos Mota here because I expect him to struggle early on, but uh, to come into the fight well as it goes on. And I think he should take over in the later rounds. But I think if you're waiting in a live bet, you're able to get a little bit better of a price if Durden does get that early takedown and get a, a fast start. Also, some props here with the uh, the Mota round two, round three. Man, those are not good numbers. I guess the best number you can find out there, Mota round three plus 1,300 on FanDuel. That's worth a little poke uh, if you could get that late round finish. But uh, fun matchup there. I'm looking forward to that one. We're going to move on to the next fight. We are in the featherweight division. Chase Hooper taking on Steve Garcia. Chase Hooper, big favorite, minus 310. Steve Garcia, plus 260. 
So Garcia's moving back down to featherweight here. He spent some time at lightweight in his past few fights. He did successfully make the weight, but uh, Steve Garcia got absolutely face-planted by Mahashate four months ago. Just completely knocked out stiff, falling on his face, and now he's dropping down an extra 10 pounds. It's not like Chase Hooper is a big puncher who's going to, you know, take advantage of that chin of Garcia, but still probably not a good idea to be coming back from this, uh, that bad of a knockout this soon, and especially cutting even more weight. Uh, but the fight is probably going to be mostly a grappling fight. I'd probably actually give Garcia a slight edge on the feet, but Hooper is, you know, steadily uh, improving his striking as well. He might surprise us and have some some better success on the feet than we expect. But the real advantage for Hooper here is obviously going to be on the ground. Garcia is an all right grappler, but he does tend to make a lot of mistakes. He gives up his back. He doesn't really do too well escaping uh, once he gets his back taken. Uh, very evident in the Luis Pena fight. Pena took his back for like 13 minutes of that fight and just controlled him there the entire time. And, you know, Hooper is, uh, you know, a different animal on the ground. The guy's a really good grappler. And he's probably going to, you know, destroy Steve Garcia on the ground here. Uh, we saw from Hooper in his last fight, been working on his ground and pound a lot, not just going for submissions, actually focusing on posture up and throwing strikes which is a good sign of improvement for Hooper and I think he's probably going to win this fight with his grappling without too much ease so uh, you know Hooper probably wins and covers not sure how he's going to finish whether it's going to be uh, a TKO or a sub I kind of see Garcia giving up his neck for a sub though so I guess I'll pick a, a Hooper submission here and that'll move us to the next fight in the middleweight division Junyun Park taking on Joe Holmes, the line for this one, Park minus 220, Holmes plus 185. Uh, I think this is honestly a value spot on the favorite here, Junyun Park. I did bet him at this juice price. Um, my cutoff for juice is minus 250. He's under that. He was minus 222 when I bet him. He's still 220. I think it's good. I think the only way the Holmes win this fight is, is knockout because uh Park throws more strikes than Holmes. He has better cardio than Holmes. He's been later in fights more often. I would say that Park is the better grappler, the better wrestler. Uh, Holmes doesn't really use his wrestling a whole lot. You know, sometimes he takes guys down, takes their back, and chokes them out. But those are really low-level fighters, like his win on the Contender Series. And I don't think that that's going to really translate to Park here. Uh, maybe Holmes can have some success, like just pushing the fight against the cage and using his size a bit. But, you know, Park did well defending the grappling of Anders in his last fight. And I just think the difference in volume and cardio and experience is so big for Park here that this fight really favors him the longer it goes. And if Holmes doesn't knock this guy out early, he's going to be in trouble. Because if you look at the Holmes fight versus Jamie Pickett, I mean, Holmes drowned in that fight. He absolutely gassed out and got demolished pretty much the entire fight by Jamie Pickett of all people who is nowhere near a good fighter so if Jamie Pickett is taking you down and putting you in deep water in those later rounds Junyun Park is going to do that exact same thing and I honestly capped Junyun Park at 75% here I give Holmes uh, you know a, a 20 to 25% chance at scoring that KO but I really think that Holmes doesn't have a chance to win uh, by sub or by uh or by decision here, especially by decision. Um, you know, maybe he can hurt him and club and sub him, but I think uh, Holmes is finisher bust, and I don't think he's going to be finishing the Iron Turtle here, Junyun Park. So I like Junyun Park at this juice price, and I think he covers and wins, uh, possibly even getting a late stoppage here on Holmes. Uh, maybe look at those uh, Park round two, round three props. You can get those two at plus 850 for round two and plus 1200 for round three, which I think is pretty good. 
Um, that's going to take us to the next fight, which is in the heavyweight division. Andre Arlovsky taking on Marcos Hogirio de Lima. The line for this one, de Lima is the favorite at minus 250. Arlovsky plus 210 on the comeback. Um, so pretty crazy that Hogirio is at 70% over Arlovsky here. Uh, Arlovsky just always fights close. And, you know, if you look at the guy's record, he's technically like 6-1 and one in his past seven fights. Only loss being to Tom Aspinall, who's now a top five heavyweight. So, I mean, the guy's been doing really fucking good for being an old guy with, you know, 60 fights or something like that. He's constantly in close fights. And the judges like him, man. He's in close fights and he tends to get the nod when the judges, uh, when the fight goes to the judges and it's a close fight. The Jay Collier fight being a great example. You know, I think 80% of people had that fight for Collier and somehow uh, Andre gets the split decision there. In this matchup, I think uh, Delima will be a problem for Andre in round one uh, because sometimes Delima comes out just throwing haymakers in round one. Sometimes he comes out wrestling. Regardless, I think he's probably going to be the more urgent guy and probably win round one here versus Andre Arlovsky. But Arlovsky's kind of comfortable losing that round one and coming back and winning those last two rounds. Arlovsky's not a guy who wins all three rounds of a fight. He's completely content to win 10 minutes and drop that last round and win a 29-28. So with that being said, I do think that Andre is probably a better live bet here. He's likely value at plus 210 before the fight as well, but I think with, you know, one takedown from Delima or a big punch from Delima, he could be plus 4 or 500 in round 1. And with Hojirio not having the most reliable gas tank, I wouldn't straight up call him a gasser because uh, he has won, won some fights by decision. They are pretty lopsided fights, though. The Maurice Green fight and the Wachorczyk fight just, you know, walks in the park. Those guys provided no resistance. But he was in a pretty high fight, high pace fight against Ivanov, one round one, drop round two, and then had a kind of 50-50 round three where he did end the round with a takedown, and he could have won that decision, honestly, uh, but the judges gave it to Ivanov. So I wouldn't say he has reliable cardio to go late but he wouldn't also be a, a, a terrible cardio gasser also so I, I feel like Arlovsky uh, should have the cardio advantage just much more uh, comfortable fighting late into the fight fighting to the decision than Lima is and you know the boxing should be really close here I mean uh, Hojirio has that advantage of swinging those big hooks and rushing him probably the punching power advantage but if they get to you know these medium tempo exchanges Andre Arlovsky is a master at lulling people into you know 60 significant strikes uh, decision type of fights where he just edges you in a, in a few punches around and you know steals it on the judges scorecards which I think is very live to happen here so I'll definitely be cheering for the old dog Arlovsky to pull off the upset but you're probably better off waiting for a live bet in this one on Arlovsky before the pre-fight bet that's going to move us along next fight in the middleweight division last fight in the prelims Roman Delidze taking on Phil Hawes Phil Hawes is the favorite here minus 175 Delidze plus 150 on the comeback so I went ahead and bet Phil Hawes here. I really like him in this spot. I, I capped him closer to uh, minus 250. So I went ahead and pay, placed two units on him at minus 170. I just think this is a favorable matchup for him. I mean, Delidze is a guy who's mostly a grappler, right? He has had two moments in the UFC where he landed a head kick on Ibrahimov and he landed a big knee on Chris Dawkus or Kyle Dawkus. 
And he got knockouts from both of those fights. But outside of that, I mean, the guy is not, uh, you know, a comfortable striker. He does not like staying a distance and throwing strikes. He likes clinching up with you, throwing some knees, and trying to get the fight to the floor. But I don't think he's that great of a wrestler. He kind of has a lay and pray style of jiu-jitsu where he's won some decisions that way over not-so-good fighters. But I don't think that's going to work here against Phil Hawes because Phil Hawes is a great wrestler. I do not think that Delidze has the wrestling to get him down. And Hall should, you know, bounce back up even if he does get put down. So I think the grappling is pretty nullified from Delidze here. So he's going to have to strike to win the fight. And I just think that Hawes is the, the better striker. He throws a lot more. Uh, he's looking like an improved technique striker, uh, you know, over his course uh, at... Um, Killcliffe, you know, whatever you want to call it, Fortis MMA. You've just seen his striking get a lot better. You know, him evolve from, you know, kind of a wrestle boxer into a really comfortable striker. You know, he's uh he's developed his kicking game, his boxing, still has a little bit of a questionable chin, but you know, outside of some big knee, big kick like he landed in some of his fights, I, I just struggle to see Delidze winning this fight. I think that the the boxing is gonna be going in the way of Halls. The wrestling goes Hall's way. Halls has pretty reliable cardio. And I just don't see Delidze having the striking volume the, to win this fight via decision. So Delidze is going to need a knockout. And, you know, outside of that last knockout versus Dacus, I mean, this guy just doesn't really seem like a knockout type of striker to me. I mean, he landed a perfect knee that just crushed uh, Dacus's, uh orbital and, you know, broke his eye in three different spots or something like that. It was kind of just a picture-perfect shot that ended the fight. I don't think it's anything super replicable we're going to be seeing going forward. So I really like Phil Hawes uh, to, you know, win this fight wherever the fight goes. I'm not sure if he's going to get a finish or decision. I think I'll lean a decision win for Phil Hawes here, but it should be, you know, a pretty high fight, uh, high pace fight in the small cage. So I could see it ending uh, by finish. So that's going to bring us to the next fight, which is the first fight on the main card in the light heavyweight division. We have Dustin Jacoby taking on Khalil Roundtree. Jacoby's the favorite, minus 178. Khalil Roundtree plus 153. I think this line is a bit wide, and it's you know it's Khalil Roundtree in a striking fight. Uh, putting him, you know, at 40%, I think is a little bit unfair. Uh, both these guys are just pure strikers, you know. Neither guy has grappling. I think it's extremely unlikely to see any type of grappling in this fight. And it's going to be two big boys in the small cage striking with one another. And initially, I was thinking I might bet the over one and a half in this spot. It's minus 156. But I'm honestly passing it. You know, I kind of realized what I just said. You know, these are big boys who are going to be striking in the small cage. I don't see them having much potential to clinch or grapple. So I think it's probably going to be a sweaty over. Either of these guys could connect on one another and finish each other. Uh, Jacoby landed a huge punch on Dotlin Jung in this last fight and finished him. Khalil's coming off a couple finishes over, you know, uh, Bukakis and Roundtree. Uh, also, a little narrative nation here. Uh, Roundtree, 2-0 against Glory Kickboxers. Um, Gokan Saki and Carl Roberson knocked them both out. And Dustin Jacoby does come from Glory Kickboxing. So, if you're a fan of narrative nation, I think you got to be siding with Khalil in this fight. And I just see it being a close striking fight, you know. Jacoby never really blows his opponents out of the water. Kind of known for winning 29-28 striking decisions. And I think, uh, you know, the speed, the southpaw uh, striking of Roundtree could, you know, maybe provide some issues for Jacoby here. So I think it's dog or pass. I think uh, I, I endorse a play on Roundtree. Uh, I'm probably going to be betting him small here at this plus 150 price. And I just think he, he fights and makes it look closer. This line should probably be minus 150 instead of minus 180 for Jacoby. So a uh, small play on Roundtree here is warranted. 
And that's going to move us to the next fight, which is in the middleweight division. Treshawn Gore taking on Josh Fremd. The line for this one, Fremd minus 157, Gore plus 137. Uh, throughout the week, you know, some two-way action on the fight. Gore was getting most of the action early in the week. A little buyback on Fremd the past day or two. Uh, but honestly, this is a really low-level fight. I think, you know, trusting either of these guys is a bit dangerous, but... I mean, Gore looks really bad to me, man. I mean, this guy uh, was in the, the ultimate fighter and just doesn't seem to be improving a whole lot, you know? Uh, he, you know, getting knocked out by Cody Brundage, man, that's just a fucking terrible look. I mean, Brundage is a grappler, and he dropped Gore with the punch and then knocked him out with some ground and pound. So I, I just think Gore's defense sucks. His chin's not good. And the guy fights like he has ankle weights on. I mean, his feet are so heavy. He's... He's just so slow, and his feet just don't move in there, you know? And I don't think Friend is anything that great, but I think he's the more comfortable striker. I think he's the more active striker, and I think he's probably got more grappling upside here. We have seen him take some opponents down, attempt some submissions. Gore's got decent takedown defense, but I still think this fight could end on the floor, and I think I would give it a friendly advantage there. So I think friend being the favorite is justified, and I would uh, maybe even cap him a slightly bigger favor here. I just think that the difference in activity is going to make a big difference here. Gore seems very reluctant to throw strikes, and if you remember over his 15-minute fight versus Brian Battle, like it seemed like the guy landed like 30 strikes in that entire fight. Let me pull up the, the stat numbers for that fight. Says he landed 57 strikes while, you know, Battle landed uh, 119. So, uh, you know, just he got massively outvolumed in that fight. And I think something similar could happen here. Um, so I'm just not impressed with, with anything I've seen from Gore so far. Don't even like uh, him at the underdog price here. I think it's probably Fremd or Pass. One prop I saw here that has some decent value is uh, the Frem sub plus 900. Uh, I think that he's the much better jujitsu grappler, and I've seen him attempt a lot of submissions in his fights. So that's not a bad stab there. And uh, that's going to move us along to the heavyweight division. This is an amazing fight here. Waldo Cortez Acosta making his UFC debut, taking on Jared Vandera. The line for this one is Waldo minus 193, Vandera plus 168. And first of all, Waldo, just a hilarious name, you know, Dominican Republic fighter. This guy, uh, he he's like attempts to be a pro boxer. He's like a 3-3 three three pro boxer, but I swear this guy has no fucking clue how to throw a punch. I mean, some of the ugliest punches I've ever seen in MMA from this guy. So I don't know, you know, what the hell he, he's doing out there, but, but it's not good. Also, watching some of this guy's old fights, this guy is an F-tier grappler. You know, when I say F-tier, I'm talking about the American grading system here, you know, A, B, C, D, F. Um... F-tier grappler, I mean, just no idea how to defend a takedown, clueless in the jiu-jitsu, all he knows how to do is, is stand up, he doesn't know how to dig an underhook on the fence, so, I mean, if Jared Vandera has any amount of intelligence, which we know he doesn't, we know he doesn't, he's one of the dumbest fighters on the roster, Vandera is going to be looking to grapple here, because I think he can get him against the cage, he can take him down, and if he gets on top of him, I mean, Jared Vandera is a Team Quest black belt, this guy's been a black belt for years, he should have an absolute absolutely massive grappling advantage on Acosta here. It's just a matter of is he smart enough to use it. The answer is probably no. This guy in his past two fights has just made some awful IQ decision making. I mean, he takes the fight to the floor with uh, Alexi Olenek, attempts a triangle attempt, attempts a back take, and just immediately gets reversed and gets instantly submitted with a scarfold. Pathetic. Then he fights... Um, 
Chase Sherman, and he doesn't attempt to take down the entire fight. I mean, Chase Sherman's another terrible grappler, not quite as bad uh, as Waldo Cortez Acosta, but he's a terrible grappler. And Vandera just doesn't do anything to to help himself get the win. He tries to take like the path of most resistance in all of his fights. So. That's not a very encouraging sign from Vandera here. But let's say Vandera takes the path of most resistance here and strikes with Acosta. I honestly think he's got a good chance of winning that too because this guy Acosta has fought bums. He's a terrible striker. He doesn't hit that hard. And Vandera is pretty tough as well. You know, it took a, a long time for Sherman to, to knock him out in that last fight. But historically, Vandera has been able to take a beating and keep fighting. And I think that even on the feet here, I would maybe give a Cortez a slight advantage advantage but I think that as the fight goes on the later rounds Vandera could take over start winning the striking and as I was mentioning earlier the grappling potential here for Vandera is huge it's just a matter of do his coaches do any research because if his coaches do any research you watch a few of his fights on YouTube and you see him getting taken down and you see him just looking clueless in every phase of the grappling so let's hope Jared Vandera can you know exploit that and uh, make this fight look easy but even if he makes it look difficult, I think he's going to look better than plus 168. So I like Vandera here. I like him on the money line. The sub, it's out there at, you know, 10, 11, 12 to 1. That that could be Wolf tickets. You know, I bet it in his last fight and he didn't attempt it at all. And he attempt any takedown. So that's not exactly promising. But man, Vandera here is easily the side. I cannot wait to bet and potentially lose money on this fight. And, you know, it doesn't matter that Vandera is uh, one of the biggest idiots on the roster. I'm gladly putting my money on him at plus 168 here. This line is crazy. And uh, Cortez fucking sucks. And I really hope we're right about Vandera here because it will be traumatic to lose on this guy uh, three fights in a row. Anyway, but the difference between those past two fights is, guys, he was a favorite in both of those past two fights. He was minus 175, minus 200 in those fights. Now, he's an underdog. Historically, Jared Vandera had been a pretty solid underdog. You know, the Justin Toffa fight, he was a dog there and, uh, you know, won that fight rather easily. So, in Vandera, we trust. Let's get it. Co-main event time, uh, welterweight division, Tim Means taking on Max Griffin. The line for this one, Max Griffin minus 182, Tim Means plus 157. I have a bet on this fight. It's neither gentleman. It's for the fight to end inside the distance. The fight is uh, plus 120 to end inside the distance. And I just feel like this fight is going to be fought at a crazy pace. Tim Means, historical, uh, incredible action fighter. I mean, I'm a huge fan of team, Tim Means. I like Max Griffin a lot, too. I like, I like both of these guys. It's going to suck to see one of them lose, but... Um, Tim Means, he's had like 25 fights in the UFC, and you might be able to count on one hand how many of them have been boring. This guy is just a relentless action fighter. He fights at crazy high paces. He's a six, uh, slick southpaw boxer. He's a good kicker. He's good in the clinch. He can club and sub you. I mean, everywhere the fight goes, Tim Means just provides action. And Max Griffin is, uh, you know, a pretty fun, entertaining fighter as well. You know, he's actually uh, got really good power in his right hand. You wouldn't know it from a guy who mostly wins by decision. This guy has knocked down seven, uh, knocked down opponents seven times in the UFC. Um, so he's got big power in his right hand. 
He's got some knockouts in his, uh, you know, recent fights. The Keenan Song one, the accumulated uh, damage from the uh, Ramiz Brahima finish as well. So, you know, Max, you know, fights at a decent pace and packs a good punch of his own. And with Tim Means, you know, looking a bit older and slower versus Holland, I think uh, Means could be open for that right hand and get hurt here. Um, I think Griffin's dropped like three opponents in a row as well, right? He, he dropped Neil Magny, uh, Carlos Condit, uh, maybe some other guy I'm forgetting. But uh, I just feel like either guy has potential to hurt one another and to finish each other here. I think Max Griffin has more finishing potential because um, Means is just, you know, looking more hittable and chinny and slow these days, while Griffin has been pretty historically durable. And I don't think Tim Means is as likely to chase the finish as Griffin is. So uh, I'm not, you know... Uh, a million percent confident this fight is going to end inside the distance but i feel it's going to be fought at such a high pace in the small cage that the fight ending inside the distance that plus money is going to look like a good bet for the majority of the fight so let's hope these guys actually finish one another i'm expecting an entertaining co-main event here I got to side with Max Griffin to, to edge the fight, but uh, I'll probably be cheering for uh, Tim Means to pull off the upset. Love the Dirty Bird. Great matchup by the UFC and uh, a fun co-main event. That's going to bring us to the main event of the car, which takes place in the featherweight division. Arnold Allen taking on Calvin Cater. Magnificent matchmaking here. Arnold Allen, the favorite right now, minus 117 to Cater, minus 103. Some two-way action coming in on the fight, but the majority of the action, I would say, is coming in on Arnold Allen. Now, this fight is a really high-level fight, and I bet some people that are analyzing it out there are breaking it down from a very technical perspective, and they're talking about how, you know, Calvin's going to slip the outside jab and counter with the left uppercut and duck under and hit the right shot to the body and the southpaw striking of Allen, he's going to be hitting the inside leg kick and mixing it up with a southpaw jab. And listen, there's a lot of complicated ways to break down this fight. I respect the people that analyze it to that detail, but I'm seeing a different angle to the fight that I that I lead my analysis towards, and that is the five-round experience between these guys. Calvin Cater has fought in four five-round fights in the UFC in a row. This is his fifth main event in a row. He's very used to fighting over those five rounds, and I think those five rounds benefit him drastically in this fight, honestly. Arnold Allen has never fought uh, past the third round, and even in some of his decisions, I think he's, you know, left a lot to be desired in some of these 15-minute decisions of his. Uh, the Sadiq Youssef fight, you know, he won the first two rounds of that fight rather clearly and not that high pace of a fight. But to me, he looked pretty gassed out in that last round, and he definitely took the round off. He wasn't trying his hardest to win the round, uh, and he, he still might have honestly won the round despite... Uh, despite not really trying his hardest there, but, you know, not really a great look to, you know, be taking your foot that hard off the gas in just a 15-minute fight. Some of his other fights, you know, he's won 30-27, like, but he kind of cruised to those decisions, and I just feel this guy has never really shown uh, great cardio, and being his first five-round fight, I think that could prove to be a problem here because Calvin Cater has done really well in his five-round fights. Um, you know, he won the last two rounds uh, of the Emmett fight rather decisively. He obviously won all five rounds of the Kiga fight. I think he won the late rounds versus Danny Gay as well. Might have dropped one of those late rounds, but um, I think he's really done well over five rounds, and his cardio seems to be great. His output is tremendous. He can throw, you know, 500 punches in a fight if he needs to. And that's going to make it very difficult for Arnold Allen to win this fight over 25 minutes, in my opinion. 
I think Arnold could have some some early success here, winning some of these early rounds. But I just really favor Calvin Cater in rounds three, four, and five, and that alone should be enough to make him the favorite in the spot because. Uh, I, Calvin Cater is extremely durable, right? We've seen this guy take some hellacious beatings and keep fighting. I do not think that Arnold Allen is going to be stopping him early on here. So it's extremely likely this fight gets into those championship rounds where, uh, without a doubt, unequivocally, Calvin Cater has more experience and you can you know, point pretty subjectively to him having the advantage in those later rounds. So I think that's huge in this fight. I think it's you know, uh, kind of the entire reason why I favor Calvin Cater in this fight. As I mentioned, there's probably some technical analysis behind how these, these guys' boxing exchanges are going to go with one another. Uh, I don't think that's exactly relevant to the fight from a betting perspective. One technical analysis I do have for the fight is Calvin has sometimes struggled with guys hitting outside leg kicks on him when he's fighting fellow orthodox fighters. Those guys can slam that outside leg kick and he does kind of tend to get that leg uh, lit up at times. You know, a big loss back in the day, Moicano lit up his leg and caused him to lose that fight. Josh Emmett was hitting that leg a lot. Uh, but with Arnold Allen being a southpaw, he's not going to be able to target that outside uh, lead leg of Calvin Cater. He's going to be having to smash inside leg kicks, which might still have some success. Because I do recall Allen throwing a lot of inside leg kicks when he's fighting orthodox fighters. But those inside leg kicks to the opposite stances do not have the same impact as, you know, same stance matchups. So I think that's not going to be a big factor for Cater here. And I just trust the, the durability, the output, the cardio, and the boxing of Calvin Cater. Don't forget this guy's elbows, too. Nastiest fucking elbow fighter in the UFC. I swear the Giga fight was the most elbows anyone's ever landed in a UFC fight. And Calvin Cater is just a fucking gangster, and I think he's going to win the fight. Uh, <clears throat> the apex he, he's fighting closer to home obviously Allen's got to travel across the world uh, to get here um, you know Kier's still got to travel across the country from Boston, but uh, still some home turf advantage. I think uh, Cater's also way more experienced in this small cage than Allen is as well. So uh, I, I like Calvin Cater in the spot. I think he's a good pre-fight bet, and I would definitely be looking to add uh, some live here as well because I think uh, Allen's got a good shot to win maybe one of those early rounds, one of the first two rounds. Could be 1-1 heading in to the third round. And I think that that would be a good spot to potentially add on Calvin Cater in the live bets because uh, I think it's a good spot. Uh, last thing I'll say, though, is that the majority of people I'm seeing, betters, people I talk to, are on Cater here. But the line doesn't seem to be budging much on Cater. So it seems like there are betters, there are, the public is on Allen out there. And uh, I think that probably has something to do with the last fight versus Calvin Cater and the Josh Emmett fight. You know, Calvin Cater was robbed in that fight. That was a rather easy fight to score. And, you know, the judges somehow fucked it up and gave it to Emmett. I mean, uh, you know, just really bad judging there. It really came down to one judge having round four to Josh Emmett. But I looked on verdict and 90% of people had round four for Calvin Cater and one judge had round four for Emmett. So that was the, the, the swinging round of the entire fight that gave the fight to Josh Emmett. And it's just inexcusable judging, man. If 90% of people are giving you the round, I mean, you probably fucking won the round. But one of these moron judges still messes it up and gives it to Josh Emmett, which cost Calvin Cater the win and which is probably costing him some... some uh, 
some pricing in this fight. You know, if Calvin Cater wins that decision against Josh Emmett, this line probably looks a little different than it does right now with Cater sitting at the slight underdog price. So I like Calvin Cater here. I bet him by no scorecards already at plus 104. On Fandle, I mean, he's so durable. He's very unlikely to get finished. I think the no scorecards is good. And I think his money line is worth a bet too. I'm going to likely end up on that money line for at least a unit as well. So I like Calvin Cater in this spot. Um, and to give you guys some some thoughts on what Ozzy had to say, I know that he is in agreement on three sides with me in this fight. Uh, he is on Junior Park, he's on Phil Hawes, and he is on Calvin Cater. So giving you the guy, the guys the uh, the summary insight on Ozzy's thoughts this week. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't able to join us this week on the podcast. I'm sure he'll be back for next week. And um, that'll do it. Um, I don't think we're going to have a best bet parlay this week. Or Wait, let me. I think he did send me one. Um, okay, yeah. His best bet of the week is Phil Hawes at minus 175. Um, let's see here. Minus 176 now on, on bet online. And then my best bet of the week. Let's see what we'll do. I mean, we'll do um, the uh, the inside the distance on the Tim Means and Max Griffin fights. So if you go to FanDuel and you parlay the two of those right now, minus 175, Phil Hawes, and the fight to end inside the distance, plus 100, you get plus 214. So once again, Phil Hawes, minus 175 for Ozzy, and then the fight doesn't go the distance in the Means Griffin fight at plus 100 for me, comes out to plus 214. And that will be our best bet parlay of the week. And that'll do it for the podcast this week. Short podcast coming in about 37 minutes. Thank you to everyone for for listening. Um, And we'll be back next week with Ozzy to talk about the next UFC card. So thank you all for listening. Hope you all enjoy the fights this weekend. And we'll see you all before the next UFC event. Peace out, everyone.